Hi, welcome to the workshop. <laughs> Has everybody had a great afternoon? Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this weather is so gorgeous, isn't it? This is just, just fabulous. So I'm glad you're here. I'm sorry we have to do this inside. I wish we could do it outside around some picnic tables. Wouldn't that be fun? And that would be great. And somehow when I pictured uh, this workshop, I pictured like five or six people, and we would all just sit around, and, and here we are. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, I'm going to pray. <laughs> and you can all pray as we talk, too. You can pray for me. Okay, so... Lord, here we are, and we, uh, we are just loving being together, and we're so thankful for this beautiful day, and uh, we just ask you now, we come before you, and I just want every person in this room, let's just all imagine ourselves just standing before the Father, and Jesus Christ is right there at the throne at your right hand, and just loving us. You know, just, just looking down on us as our Heavenly Father, as our precious Lord and Savior, loving us with every fiber of your being and loving every fiber of our being because we are beautiful to you. We are precious. We are a treasured possession. And so I just ask you, Lord, right now, with your Holy Spirit inside of us to speak to each of our hearts. Lord, that you would, that we would hear the things you want us to hear. That you would, you would tailor this message specifically to each one of us, meeting us right where we are, giving us the guidance and the light that we need for the next step, for this moment in time in our lives. Each of us at such a different place in our journey. Uh, you're writing this beautiful story of faith. And so we just come before you, Lord, uh, with our hearts open and ready to just receive what you have uh, to share with us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is a workshop about honoring uh, your father and your mother. And so I want to ask you this question. Does this sound all right? Do I sound okay? I hear this little echo around me, but I'm good. Okay. Do I sound okay to you? Okay. <laughs> good. <laughs> so um, I wanted to just start with, uh, with this sentence, to honor your father and your mother is to blank. And I wanted to ask you all to, to just fill that in, whatever comes to your mind with uh, one word or a couple of words, but just um, how would you, and let's share that together. Um, just what comes to your mind when I say to honor your father and your mother is to, you can just call out. Respect. To respect. Spend right. time with them. Spend time with them. Oh, that's a good one. You're a good son, I can tell. You're a good boy. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you my son's email address. <laughs> Spend time with them. Okay. To honor your father and your mother is to... Speak highly of them. To speak highly of them. I love that. To think well of them. To 
to cherish them. You guys are sweet kids. Wow. To obey them, right? Yeah. Anything else come to mind? To thank them. To thank them. Wow. You guys really don't need this workshop. <laughs> I really think you just have this all figured out. I love it. I think we could go play. Maybe, maybe Corey is out there, and we could go play with Corey. Wouldn't that be fun? Okay, go ahead. Then. Anybody else have another? Yeah. Does she worry a lot? That is so sweet. Wow, you are really a sweetheart. I think you were dancing this morning when we were singing, weren't you? I wanted to come dance with you. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. To love them by serving them. To share your life with them. Oh, that's really sweet. Okay. So, when I think of family. Here's another sentence for you, okay? When I think of family and home, I feel blank. Secure? Oh, that's great. Comfortable? Comfortable? Where did, who said that? Oh. That's, that's beautiful. Not everybody feels that way. I'm really not sure you guys need this workshop. Uh, when I think of family and home, I feel. Anybody else? Distant. Distant? Peace? Oh, that's great. Loved? Oh, sweet. Yes? Confused. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. Because sometimes I felt really confused too. Yeah. Misunderstood. Where? Misunderstood. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Wanted. Wanted. So precious. You. Divided. Divided. Challenged. Challenged. Anyone else? Pressured. Pressured. Thanks for being, being honest. All of, all of those answers, you know. I love the answers of safety and loved and, and comfortable. And, but I appreciate and I understand the answers of confused or divided or pressured. Um, so um, Ephesians 3.14 I'm just going to dive in, and we'll just wade our way through. all. The, you can see I just spread all this stuff out. It's kind of a mess. Um, Ephesians 3.14, and if you've never read that prayer in Ephesians 3, it's 14 down to the end of the chapter. It's just one of the most beautiful prayers in Scripture, and Paul, Paul prays for them, and he says, I bow my knees... These are like his children, you know. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's how he begins this beautiful prayer. 
And I think it's significant because it's important for us to remember that every family derives its name. Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from the Father. And God knows your name. He knows the name of the family. It's not an accident, the family that you were born into. It's um, your family has been designed by God. And as a part of that family, you are a part of a faith, a faith story that God is writing. And it's God's story. And so when we think about your parents, that God is writing their faith story, and he has put you in their home and in their lives as a part of that story. Your faith is not dependent on their faith. And God's work in your life is not dependent on them. And their story and their faith is not dependent on you. Their journey is in God's hands. Your journey is in God's hands together. Does that make sense? That God, um, God is the one that is in control. And I think that recognizing that in my own life was huge. Saying, God, you are writing their story, and I'm a part of it. I'm a beautiful part of it. But it's not dependent on me. And if I, if I, if I mess up or make mistakes or feel like my little light was just so dim, it's okay. Because it never depended on me. It's never depended on me. And I want to ask you this question as well, and you don't have to answer it, but I think this is an important question for you. It was an important question for me. Is do you know your parents' story? Have you? You probably know parts of it. And maybe some of you do know their history. Maybe some of you have asked some of those personal questions about what was it like when you were growing up? What was your, what was your family like? What was, what was grandma or papa? What was, what was it like? And you might know some of that. But I know that um, as an adult, when I traveled overseas with my dad on a business trip, and we sat in a restaurant in Italy, and we, we talked about his family, and I began to ask him questions. Wow, it opened up this whole world for me to really understand. I knew parts of it, and I knew his, his mother, and I knew his sister, and all of that, but, but it really helped me to understand what his journey had been like. And he began to share some of the, some of the hurts and I could sort of connect the dots. He, he wasn't uh, just out there with it. But I, I could connect the dots. And it really helped me to understand um, what he had gone through. I wish that I had done that more with my parents. So I just encourage you that as God gives you opportunity, if you, if you have that opportunity to ask, to just ask some simple questions and and uh, get to know the story that your parents uh, have lived. It will really help you understand a lot about 
how they treat you sometimes, how they react, some of the things they might say, some of the things that they do. I want you to know that no matter what family you've been born into, whether it's a family, a home where you feel blessed or a home where you feel misunderstood or confused or divided, that God's power and God's authority in your life cannot be thwarted. That God is, God is in control. And more than any other sphere of influence in your home, in, with your family, that the power of your actions, the power of uh, the maturity in Christ as you grow, the change that God's word and God's presence begins to make in your life, changes that you, you may not even see or be aware of, um, that you're, those will be the things that will speak the loudest in your home and to your family, much more than your words. Because your parents, whether you believe it or not, and most of us don't believe it as children, but they know you pretty well in a lot of respects. And um, as they watch you now in these years, as you are, you are growing and changing tremendously, you're making huge decisions. And they will see, they will see a change. They may not be able to verbalize it. They may not understand it. But they will, they will see the change. And that's probably the most powerful testimony that you will have. When I think about all the words that I shared, all the things that I spoke with my, with my parents, I think very few of them ever sunk in. I think it was really the testimony of my life. So Paul says to the Corinthians... He says that his, his prayer in every sphere of influence, he says, wherever I go, the different spheres of influence that God gives me, that my prayer is that faith would grow. I can't fix people. I, I can't change people. But my prayer is that faith, that faith would grow. And so what that looks like is God's part. And sometimes we, we want to put, put our story in a box and we want to kind of put God in, a story, God in a box and we want to write it a certain way. But for every single one of us, the story's going to be unique. The way the story plays out, we can listen to other people. I would go, I'm going to share my story. But really, um, what God does in your family and in your home is going to be so unique. It's going to be so special. So to be careful not to try to put God, God in a box, that God, it should look like this. And this is how I define um, success or a good testimony or whatever, that, this, that, that we can't put God in a box. There's not a formula. That's not God. And so... I want to share with you, I, I titled this workshop, and I don't know if the title is, is actually anywhere, but that honoring our parents, that in my life, I feel like it has been a lifetime journey 
of lordship, requiring compassion and courage. And sometimes that compassion, that that lordship, the compassion and the courage has been seen by staying and sometimes it's been seen through leaving. So let me share a little bit of what I mean by that. I want to start with lordship. Luke 9.23 says, If any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself. And in the Amplified, it says that to deny himself means to disown himself, to lose sight of himself and his own interests, to refuse and to give up himself. Those are not easy, that's not easy, those are not easy words, are they? Those aren't words that make us comfortable. They're words that kind of push me out of my comfort zone. Do they you? I mean, they just, to, to disown myself, to lose sight of myself, my own interests, to refuse and give up myself. Uh, I, those are not words that I, that I like to think, get up in the morning and go, okay. I'm going to lose my self-interest today. I'm going to disown myself. Okay, so. um, And take up his cross daily and follow me. And in the Amplified, that means to cleave steadfastly to Christ. To conform wholly to his example in living. And if need be, in dying. Now, what I want to say about this is this, this journey of, of lordship, that it's not a one-time decision. It's like today I want everyone to go out and, and make a lordship decision. You've probably already made those kinds of, a, lot, a, a number of those kinds of decisions, maybe even without labeling it lordship. It's not a one and done. I used to think that way when I was a young Christian. I don't know if you've ever seen the little um, circles. This is really old, but where you put Christ on the throne. Do you all ever use that kind of? Okay, some older people have seen it. But, uh, so it's like you put him up on the throne, and you make him Lord, and then he falls off. And so you're, you know, the whole idea is I need to keep him up there, so i got to keep, keep pushing him up there. But, um, but I, don't, I don't think that way anymore. I think it's exactly like that. But I do feel like that there are places, there are times in my life when I definitely reach this crossroads of of lordship. Jesus calls us to give our whole selves to him, our gifts, our strengths, our dreams, to give him my past, my present, and my future. And I don't know which one of those is the hardest for you. I would say that right now in my life, probably it's my past. To make him Lord of the past. Um, But that's what Jesus asked us to do, to trust him with the past, the present, and the future. Probably for you guys, it's probably the future, isn't it? Isn't even more. It's like, what am I going to do? What what am I going to study? Or what job am I going to take? Or am I going to go to grad school? I've heard a lot of those questions in these last few days. But he asks us to give those things to him. My time, my energy, my heart. And that really is the most important thing. To give him my heart. To love him with all that I am and all that I do. 
And I think all this sounds pretty hard. Does anybody feel like that all of this sounds kind of overwhelming? And so it's a great verse, and we should know this verse, and we should think about this verse, and we should talk about this verse, because it's huge. But you know what? When I just start, my head starts spinning with verses like this, I'll tell you where I go. I don't know where you go. Do you have a verse you go to when your head starts spinning? Anybody? Do you? Anybody know their verse? A verse? Okay, this is my go-to verse. Do you know a verse? Okay. Head spinning verse. What? A a verse that helps. Oh, I love that. That thou shalt keep in perfect peace him whose mind is set on thee, the heart that the mind that is set on him. I love that verse. So, like get those crazy thoughts and get them over here, okay? But this is my go-to verse. When Paul prays in 2 Corinthians 11:3, and he says, "I pray that your hearts will not be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And so when I get confused and I get to verses like this and I go, wow, this is really, this is really hard. It's really good. It's really challenging. I go to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And I go, you know, I don't understand all these things, but I, I can just bow my head right now in just a simple and pure devotion to Christ. Well, I want to give you another really hard verse too, okay? There are going to be a few, and then we'll lighten up. Luke 18, 26 through 32. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, that is, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude toward God. So in other words, well, what? What do, you think I, what do you think that verse is saying? Anybody daring enough? Wait, who's? Don't hate your parents. Don't hate your parents. Okay, listen again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own, so in other words, hates his own father and mother, that is, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude toward God. Is this kind of relative to like a scale? Like, a, like your parents should be up here like more than like friends or something, but God is like so much higher right. that in comparison it, it should be like you should hate your parents because that's how far or how much more you should love them. Right, right. And that's... That's a journey of a lifetime, isn't it? Just That's why growing in that love for God is so important. Because Jesus also includes your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. He cannot be my disciple. You've got to persevere and carry your own cross and come after me. Wow, that is a huge verse, isn't it? That is so challenging. What that's going to look like in each of our lives is going to be up to the Lord. 
But that is what he, that's the kind of devotion that he wants us to have, to know that he is the Lord of our lives. Jesus says if you plan to build something meaningful, you've got to count the cost. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about building this whole new way of living, thinking, relating to the world. Or if you plan to engage in a huge mission, you need to count the cost. And what is this going to look like? What is this going to look like? And so, to renounce, to surrender, to claim my claim, to give up, even to say goodbye. Wow. These are just huge verses. So I want to share with you some things that Jesus said to people. And if you want to ever study this on your own, to take one of the Gospels, this, these verses are all from Luke. You can take... Luke, you can take any one of the Gospels and just go through and look at what Jesus said to people um, after he healed them, before he healed them, what he said about their direction, what he wanted them to do. It's a, it's a beautiful study. But um, Jesus told the man in Luke 9.59, he said he told the man to leave everything. He said, leave everything and follow me. And the man said, just let me go home and first take care of my parents, my aging parents. Let me help them through these years. And when they pass away, then I'll leave everything and come and follow you. And Jesus told the man, he said, there's no time for that. This is a really interesting passage. Jesus goes, there's no time for that. He said, I need you right now to go and proclaim abroad to all the regions of the earth. Isn't that just the wildest thing? It's like, what was it about this man that Jesus said, I need you right now to go. I need you to go right now. There's no time. There's no time to waste. I just think I would love to meet that man. I guess we'll meet him in heaven. Jesus told a very wealthy young man who longed to know the secret of kingdom living, to follow the commandments. He said, if you want to know the secret to kingdom living, he said, just follow the commandments. And the young man said, I've done it. I'm in. I've got it. I've done all of that. And then Jesus said, sell everything you have and come follow me. And wow, <laughs> he was He was sad. Um, Peter cried out. He said, Lord, we have left everything. We have walked away from everything, our homes, our families, our businesses, to follow you. And Jesus comforted him and said, I know. I know that you have. And I promise you that you will be rewarded a hundred times over in this life and in the life to come. And you read that and do you wonder, what does that mean? Does anybody else ask? You know, what is that going to look like? At this point in your life, you can't even fathom that, can you? I mean, you're just kids. So then there were women who left their homes and they left their families. 
to travel with Jesus, to serve and to support him out of their means. These were women who had wealth. And they left their homes and their families, whatever. And this is unheard of in this culture, in this day and time, that a woman would do that. And that any, any rabbi or any religious leader would even want women to do that. But they did. And they served him and they supported him. And then there is the man who was freed from a legion of demons. Do you remember that story? And he pleaded with Jesus. I mean, he had been wild and crazy in the wilderness. And Jesus healed him and he sat there in total sanity and fully clothed for the first time in how long? And he pleaded with Jesus, let me follow you. And you know what Jesus did? He sent him home. He said, go home. Go home and tell everyone there what God has done for you. Go home. And he did. And that man spread the gospel not only at home, but in his whole city and in the whole region. Jesus never went back to that region. And this man said, Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus said, no, go home. There's a man cleansed from disease. And Jesus told him not to tell anyone. He said, what I want you to do, I want you to go to the priest, and I want you to offer the offerings for your cleansing and be restored to your family. What on earth? There's a paralytic, and he's forgiven, and he's instructed, pick up your bed and just go home. Don't even stay for the sermon. <laughs> right? They lifted, you know, they said they lifted him down, right? And he, and he said, get your bed and go home. You don't even have to stay for the message. Your sins are forgiven. Go home. Wow. Okay, so then we have a woman who's rescued from stoning. Well, so this is really interesting because she's forgiven. She's, you know the story, right? She's dragged and she's put right in front of everybody and her sin is exposed. And Jesus says, he who is without sin casts the first stone. Oh, man, that is all of us, isn't it? Do you ever identify with that woman? that I am dragged. This is what I deserve. Dragged in front of the Savior. And the accusations from this side and this side all rang out against me. And you know what? They're all true. There's no defense. And Jesus says, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, every accuser looked within and walked away. And Jesus told her, did no one condemn you? I do not condemn you. Go home. Wow. He could not have told her to do anything harder. Don't you think? Wow. Blind men 
women, children, servants sent home. Go home and tell your family about the gift of life and the gift of hope. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that small family, so loved by Jesus. I mean, that's where he spent one of his last evenings on earth was with them in their home. He never told them to leave their home. You know, they were part of a fabulous miracle of resurrection and life. So to follow Jesus, to surrender my whole life, if we go back to our hard verses, right? We go, well, what is this supposed to look like in my life? You know what? It's a journey of one day at a time, isn't it? Just growing in that simplicity and purity of devotion. It's one step at a time. It's one day at a time. Your story is not like your story. It's not like my story. And yet the central thread of it all is this glorious grace and power and love of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to honor your parents and your family? I think you probably, you might leave here a little more confused than when you came because I don't really have a formula for you and I don't have a blueprint for you. When I read and study the scriptures, these are the kinds of questions that I ask. It's like, how does all of this fit together? And I think that at this point in my life, I probably have more questions about life and faith and salvation and hope than I've ever had in all my life. I have more questions than I do answers. So over the course of my lifetime, I have been asked to serve and to love my family. I've been sent home. And I have been asked with compassion and courage to be a light and a testimony. And it's taken a lot of compassion and it's taken a lot of courage. I have been asked to stay and I have been asked to leave. So I'm just going to share um, a little bit of my story with you. Is that okay? So is everybody awake? Do you need, it's so hot in here. Is anybody dying of heat and falling asleep? If you need to stand up while Aaron opens the door, if you just need to <coughs> shake or if we need to dance, we need some music. <laughs> you are so cute. You were having so much fun in that song. So I, um, boy, I haven't told my whole story in a long time. So this was really, you can, I mean, look, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, but I think through, the, through my pen, do you guys do that? And, and like Dan, you know, he's up here with those cool slides. <laughs> and he is, you know, but... Okay, so I love that. I love it that he's just like, oh, baby, I'm rocking, and I'm like, wait, wait. There's a verse here somewhere. I know it. I know it. Okay, so 60 years ago, I began my journey. Wow. Um, I haven't shared, I, I don't share that with anybody, so don't tell anybody. Uh, but 60 years ago, my journey had just begun. And I want to tell you that I began my life um, in my mother's womb in the heart of a family crisis. It was, um, it was the worst news ever, and I was the crisis. Back then, we used 
statements like unwanted, illegitimate. We don't use that word probably anymore. No, you don't call anybody illegitimate. Um, a mistake, a bad choice. But that's where I, that's where I began, in the heart of what I caused in that family was unbelievable. I'm sure you can imagine. My birth mother, all I know about her is that she was a teenager. Uh, and I know that because she ended up at the Edna Gladney Adoption Home in Fort Worth, Texas. A lot of you are from Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, they, and so I know what they did at that time, that, that it was a home, it was, it was brand new, and that it was a home where a girl, a teenage girl could go from Texas or maybe Louisiana or, you know, a state right around Texas uh, when she had, had made a bad choice, when she had made a mistake. But she made the choice to give me life, and that's why I stand before you today. So God took me out of one home, and he put me into another home. And so when I talk about my parents, I'm talking about my adoption. They're the only parents that I, that I ever knew. They lived in Dallas. And so this was the family that God took me out of this one family of crisis and put me into a family and into a home of darkness. Now, it's not total darkness because I believe that the Lord was, was there. But it was a very... It was a very dark place. In this family, I served and I obeyed. I want to tell you a little bit about my father and my parents. Um, they had both grown up in the Deep South, and uh, they had both grown up in very religious homes, and they had both concluded that they didn't really need religion. They didn't really need God at all. When I talk about knowing your parents' story, my father, when he was seven and his little sister was five, um, his parents divorced and his mother took him to Fonsdale, Alabama, which nobody knows where Fonsdale, Alabama is. I have been there. Um, and, he, and she uh, dropped them off with her mother and left. And his father went to Texas and his mother went to Montgomery and that was that. And the only time she ever showed up was when she needed money or she needed something in his life. Uh, so there was a lot of bitterness, a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal in his life. Now, my dad was a very powerful man. He was a very self-made man. He lived through the Depression, and um, the only Christmas gift he ever got from his father, who had taken off to Texas, was a used tennis racket. And so all my life, as I was growing up, my dad was always buying tennis rackets, and I couldn't understand it. But once I knew that piece of his story, it's like I knew why. You know, when the latest and the greatest of something really amazing would come um, on the market, he'd have a new, a brand new tennis racket. So just knowing a part of their story. My father, uh, so he built his own business, family-owned business. How many of you come from a, a family that has their own business, so you'll understand. Uh, so we just grew up working. Did you grow up working? I mean, everybody, 
family-owned business, everybody works. And uh, so are, are you at least, you know, you're in a playpen, right, sitting there in the, in the offices while everybody else works. And, and then when you're old enough to do something, you do it. And that's just, that's where you grow up. So uh, my father uh, was very successful, uh, owned his own business. Everybody worked. Everybody was a part of that. Uh, he was very powerful, and he knew how to use his money and his position uh, to influence, to, you might want to say, to control. You might want to say to manipulate. You might even use a word like oppress. But um, he could also be extremely generous and, and, and an amazing person. I think he was, um, sometimes I think of him, when I look back, a little bit like the mafia, um, it was just that kind of a world. I mean, he didn't kill people, so uh, he, didn't, he didn't do that, but it was a very cutthroat world that I grew up in. And so I grew up um, always working. That's, that's just all I ever knew. Um, you know, I served, and I, I loved my, my parents. My mother also uh, was not a believer. Uh, she... Um, but she was a very beautiful and gentle and amazing person. And um, as I got older, I just saw the incredible oppression of my father on my mother. And I saw the disaster of their marriage. And I saw the conflict and the turmoil. And I recognized that as a, as a very small child. And my strategy would be to hide and, and get, get out of it, get, get out of the conflict. Uh, it's still a strategy I have to deal with in my life. Um, so when I went into high school, I, do, I really didn't hear the gospel. I heard bits and pieces of it as I was growing up. And I think there were some Christian friends of my parents that kind of felt sorry for us. And so occasionally we would get taken to church. And, and it was great. It was fine. But, but none of it really connected for me. But when I went, as I went into high school, um, I ended up at a conference. I heard the gospel. I heard the good news. And it all clicked. That there was a God in heaven. I had wondered about that. I mean, I knew there was a God in heaven. But I just... I, didn't, I had no idea what he was like, but there was a God in heaven, and he did see me, and he did hear me, and he did care, and he did love me, and that there was also forgiveness. And at that point, you know, being a sophomore in high school, I was very aware of my need for forgiveness. But the thing that really got me in this message of good news is that he could come into my heart and live there and that he could give me his love and that he could also give me his love with which to love other people. And at that point in my life, I was so dead inside. Have any of you ever felt just so dead inside? And I thought, I desperately need to know how to love other people. I desperately need that kind of power in my life. So that was definitely inviting the Lord to come into my life. I would say that that, that is a first um, lordship decision. But I really think that at that point in my life, 
there were two very conscious decisions that I made. One was to invite Jesus Christ into my life. The second one was that I knew I, I loved my dad. And, you know, I, kids just love their parents. And then you look back and go, wow, huh. I wonder what people were thinking. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, so I loved my dad, and I wanted his love. And I knew there was only one way to get it, and that was to be a part of his world. And so I made a very conscious choice going into high school that I would work even more, that I would be, that I would really give myself. You know, I'd always been working, but, but that I would really give myself to that. And so I did. At one point, even in my senior year, well, I worked after school, all through high school, and my dad had all different kinds of businesses. And it really was great because he gave me, as his daughter, all kinds of opportunities and responsibilities that I never, I never would have had. And then I began to travel with him. He, had, um, he did gift shows. It's a whole different world. But all over the country during different seasons. And so I would travel with him, and I learned how to set up merchandise and tear it down and set up displays. And, um, and then I began to travel by myself. He would just send me to cities and say, go and work with the team of, of salesmen that are there. Um, in my senior year of high school, I just went to school a few hours. I did that checkout type of program, you know, so that I could just go work because... That's what I wanted to do. At that point in my life, there were two masters in my life. But you know, the two masters could peacefully coexist. Because my dad was good to me. I obeyed my dad. I loved my dad. He was such a talented, amazing person. And there was Jesus Christ. And my dad looked at my faith. He knew about my faith. I would share, you know, I'd give him the four spiritual laws. I mean, I'd, all that stuff. I don't know if you guys do that kind of thing with your parents. It didn't, it didn't work at all. But anyway, um, but I so wanted my parents to come to know Jesus. But what I didn't realize is just how closely they were following me, that they were watching me, that they were listening to me, that they saw good things happening in my life. And that blessed them. You know what? That blessed them. And so they trusted me. And when I wanted to, like in high school, I was a part of a Bible study. And that was fine. You know, there were, it, it didn't bother them because I was a good girl. And, you know, so it was, it was a great thing. So I can really see those years and all the way through college where the two masters peacefully coexisted. I would say that one of the most life-changing things in those years for me was as a sophomore in high school, it was the first time I ever opened a Bible. And wow, I began to read God's Word, and it was just amazing. And that one of the first chapters that I ever read was 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love. And of course, that so spoke to me. And so when I would... When I wasn't working, when I would come home from school, and this was probably before I could drive, and my mom would be at work, I just started memorizing the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Because I needed that in my life. And it taught me so much 
about love and about the love of God for me and what it meant to love other people. So I would just say that God's word in your life is so critical. It, it was in mine. It was so foundational. When I went off to college, I had the freedom. You know, you have more freedom when you're out, out of the home, you're off at school. I got involved in Bible studies and ministry, and I just had a wonderful time. My freshman year was just a great year. I loved it. But every holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, summer, you go home and you work. Well, after that freshman year, I went home, and I worked, and I traveled, and did all of that, and wow, I could not figure out how to walk with God. What a terrible summer. Has anybody ha- ever had, any of you had a period like that where it's not that you did anything horrible, it's just that I just, I couldn't figure out how to cope, how to, how to walk with God. It was just, it was just a terrible summer. I went back to school, and I would say that was a huge lordship time. I said, I never want another summer like that. So I went back to college, sophomore year, and uh, I did what, what any intelligent college student would do. And I went to the bookstore, the Christian bookstore, and I stood there and I said, God, show me a book. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's what we do. Does anybody else do stuff like that? So, God, show me a book. And you know, as I walked around that bookstore, there was this tiny little book. You can't buy it now. You can't find it in print. But it was called The Spirit and the Word. And somehow, when I saw that title, I knew that the Holy Spirit was the answer. And he is, isn't he? You guys already know that. You are so much smarter than I was. But there you go. So I bought that book, and that little book is a little Bible study, and it just totally changed my life. And I said, I want the Holy Spirit. I just want to know that power. I want to know that kind of life because I cannot live the Christian life in my own power. That was a major lordship decision, that I'm not buying into my father's world. I'm not buying into that as a, as a way of living and a path for living. I want to walk with God. So I continued to, um, I, I didn't know about scripture memory. You know that little workshop where you have the little, the little packets and, and you memorize two verses a week? Well, I didn't know about that. Nobody had told me about that. So I'm leading a little Bible study, and we're just studying, I don't know what we were studying, Colossians or something, and, and oh, maybe it was Second Timothy. And I said, girls, this is the greatest book. This is just the greatest chapter, and look at this verse. Let's memorize this verse. So we did. The next week we came back. I said, you know what? This whole, this whole chapter is great. Let's just memorize this chapter. And so they said, they said, okay, can you believe that? And so we just memorized that chapter. And we just kept studying through that book. And it's like, you know what? This second chapter is so great. So we just memorized the second chapter. I mean, it's not that hard to do. And you guys are so much smarter than I am. And you know what? It's just that living word, just living inside of you. That, even that is like a lordship decision, you know? To say, I want you, I want the word of Christ to richly dwell within me. Well, I just continued on this cycle. But at the end of my sophomore year, 
Here's another lordship decision, and this took courage. Someone told me about um, this little Bible school that, that you could go to. It was really for Campus Crusade staff. It was in Colorado. But the first month, they would let students come. And they had seminary professors, and you had like four classes. So the Gospel of John, I remember Hebrews. Anyway, I really wanted to go. And it's just the month of June. But I was terrified to ask my dad. But God worked out some crazy circumstances, and I screwed up the courage, and he said yes. That was a lordship decision, and that was a life-changing summer. And when I came home, my parents saw a transformed person. I know they did. I can look back. I was a different person from when I left in June and when I came back the 1st of July. So the next summer, when I said, hey, they said, yes, off I went again. Two major milestones in my life. Coming here, whatever other opportunities that you have in these years to grow and to seek the Lord, lordship decisions, do it. It was fabulous. So I got to my senior year. There are two masters in my life, and they're doing fine. They're not, they're, they're not in trouble at all. I mean, they're great. It's great. And so... Um, but I began to wonder, what am I going to do when I graduate, just like all of you? And um, as I began to pray, I thought, well, I'm going to go home and work. I mean, that's what I do. And I've been groomed to take over this position in my dad's business. And by this time, I've traveled all over the world with my dad and done all kinds of projects with my dad. And I, so I know exactly what I've been groomed to do. And... and um, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, travel to all these countries and I'm going to share Christ all over the world while I travel and work for my dad. And, and that's going uh, to be a great thing. Well, that was not God's plan. And uh, the, way, the way God revealed that to me was pretty interesting. Midway through the semester, I got so sick that I couldn't get out of bed for about two weeks. And I had a 50-page paper due right after Christmas, or right after Thanksgiving. Anybody know how that feels? 50-page paper, yeah. Okay, so I am uh, way behind. So Thanksgiving comes along, and I call my parents. Just totally makes sense to me. I don't think I can come home for Thanksgiving. And uh, my dad went ballistic because they had begun to think about, they didn't see my faith kind of wearing down. You know what I mean? They, they, they thought I would outgrow it. They thought it was sort of a phase. And so they were way ahead of me in terms of their thinking. And so my dad, um, he... You know, he made some pretty bad accusations, and, uh, but I won, and I, um, I mean, I couldn't go home. I needed to stay and work on this paper, and so I did. I spent time in the Word, and God really spoke to me 
He spoke to me through Isaiah 41. It's a very strange passage, but, I mean, it's not strange, but it says, I, the Lord, he says, when the poor and the needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I won't forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. And what the Lord said to my heart, he said, Patricia, before you can find that river, I'll start with the first one, before you can find that river, you're going to have to climb the bare height. That's where the river is. And before you find that fountain, you're going to have to walk through a valley. And before you find the pool of water, you're going to have to experience the wilderness. And this was God preparing my heart. Because when I went home at Christmas, my parents had a tremendous strategy. My dad drove up in a very famous, uh, uh, famous, no, very expensive sports car. My mom said, your dad's got a gift for you. Came home in this very uh, expensive sports car. Wow, Dad, that's really something. And then uh, I said, well, I, I, I don't even know how out of college I could possibly afford something like that. Oh, don't worry about it, right? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. There's no problem. Don't even think about that. My mom said, you know, you lost some weight while you were sick. Let's go get, some, let's go get a few things for you, a few clothes. Brand new wardrobe, whole new wardrobe. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. But I knew, you know, I'm not that stupid. And the pressure began right away. What are you going to do when you graduate? Well, I, I'm praying about it. Well, that didn't go over very well. That was not the right answer that they were looking for. And the pressure came from every direction, from my brother, from my parents, from my aunt. You know, there just comes a point, she said, when you have to tell God that you have to do what you have to do. Huh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so the pressure was so incredibly intense um, from, every, from every front. Well, part of what had, um, had increased this pressure is that um, I had told my mom, during my senior year, I had met Dan Wildridge. Dan had been out of school for five, yeah, now we get into the really interesting part. <laughs> Dan had been out of school for five years, and he had been in business, in international business, so we had a lot in common there, and he had been in the ministry for a few years at UT, and he had come to my little church, where there had been about six college students for a year or two, however long, and the college ministry had just exploded to over about 100-some-odd people. And it was just an amazing time. But in Dan Wildridge, I saw someone that, I ha that had this kindred spirit. But he had the verse pack. I didn't know about the verse pack because he was a navigator. <laughs> I was a crusader. And so, um, but 
he just had this love for God's word that I just had not, had not seen. It was just this kindred spirit. But I absolutely had no interest in, in a relationship with him because I had seen enough of marriage. I had seen that, 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 that road and that pain, and I really wasn't interested in it. But I had told my mom about this amazing person that was leading our Sunday school. I married my Sunday school teacher. Go figure. <laughs> so, um, so after Christmas, I, went, I traveled for my dad. When I came back, before I left for back to go back to college, my parents said this, come home to work or don't come home. That's the, that's the, the bottom line. Wow, what a, what a message. I just went back to school completely crushed. And it took me a few months. First, I just, I told Dan, you know, I just don't have time for you. I don't have time for, because I could tell he felt a little bit more for me than I was feeling for him. I said, I've got a big decision. I've got, I've got something really huge in my life to think about. And you know, it didn't scare Dan away. He's like, I'm your friend. And so uh, he kind of traveled on that journey with me of processing and finally realizing, you know, this is a lordship decision, and the two masters cannot peacefully coexist. And once I realized that that's what was going on, wow, what a difference. It didn't make the decision uh, not painful. It was very painful, but I had to say, Jesus is Lord. You are Lord of my life, and if I never go home again, I will follow you. And at that point, I, don't, I didn't know where he was leading me. I didn't know what God's will was, but I knew that I had to make that commitment. And once I did, what an incredible lifting that burden, of that burden and that pain. Well, in the next few months, um, I did fall in love with Dan Woldridge. I knew that that was God's will. I knew that we were going to get married before Dan did. That's interesting. Uh, that's a story. But um, I asked my pastor, because I said, well, I, I'm gonna, at spring break, uh, I want Dan to go home and meet my, my parents. And, um, and he had asked me to marry him at that point, so... Um, I asked my pastor, who's kind of a young guy, I said, what do we do if my parents say, forbid it, if they, if they say you can't get married, if they just forbid it? And he didn't answer me. He said, let me pray about it. And he never got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So that's why I don't have any answers for you either. Um, so, um, but we went home. Boy, it didn't go over well at all. My parents were just in total shock. My dad sat me down, and, um, and he, took out all, he took out his financial papers. And he said, this is what I'm worth? And showed, you know, he wanted me to see it. And he said, and this is your half, and this is what you lose if you marry this person. And... I mean, the plan was, we, Dan was on staff with the Navigators. We'd go into full-time Christian work. And so uh, my dad said, I said, Dad, um, 
I don't even know what I said at that point, but my dad said, I don't understand a God that would take you away from your family. He said, you are first in my life, and I want to be first in your life. And one of the hardest things I ever had to say to my dad is, you cannot, I love you, Dad. I love you with all my heart, but you cannot be first in my life. And so um, my parents, uh, every day was kind of a new angle that Dan was there. He was there for three or four days, I've forgotten. Every day was a new angle. And, and for some, we had these visiting relatives, and they all took sides, you know, about who they were rooting for. It was really amazing. But um, at the end of that week, before I left and came, my parent well, no, before Dan left, my parents said this. They said, if you go back to Austin and you get, and you get married, uh, we're done. They said, but if you will come home and if you will work on this specific project, my dad had a specific project that he wanted me to do, then when that project is completed, we will give you our blessing, we'll give you a, a wedding. And so Dan and I talked about it, and it involved waiting about eight or nine months, and we both agreed. That's what we'll do. So after I graduated, I went home, and I worked, and it gave my parents that time to try to talk me out of getting married. I mean, we're putting the invitations in an envelope. And they've all been hand calligraphied, okay? In gold. <laughs> Just saying. And my mom says, I'll never forget, you know, how you can picture that. It's not too late. It's not too late. I don't care what we've spent on this wedding. It's not too late so far. It's, you can back out now. And that was kind of the whole, the whole nine months, nine or ten months, whatever it was. But, you know, in that way, I gave my parents that opportunity. And I understand it now. You know, I understand how shocked they were, how afraid they were. They did not understand my faith. They did not understand what Dan was doing. They knew that they were losing, in their mind, they were losing me. And they needed that time. And it didn't kill us. It's 30, oh, I've forgotten how many years we've been married. It's like 37 years. We did it. We made it this far. It didn't, it didn't kill us. So Dan, my parents, uh, it was, they were brutal. They were brutal. And my dad never... He never missed an opportunity to tell you where you were going wrong or what you needed to correct. Or, um, and it was always because, you know, this was good for you. And so the comparison, the criticism, you know, you just... I thought I raised you to be more ambitious than this. Um, but as Dan and I began our married life, it was a commitment between both of us that we would love and honor my family no matter what they said, no matter what they did. And that's what we did for all, for all of those years. My dad passed away in 2010. 
We never gave up loving them. We never gave up serving them. We never gave up going home. We moved to California. We went home every summer. We went home every Christmas. Um, because that was lordship. Christ called us to lay down our lives for them, to be wounded, to be criticized, to oftentimes, I mean, Dan was brutalized. But, um, but God did some amazing things in my family. I'm sorry that I'm running out of time and I can't share them with you, but um, my mother did come to Christ uh, after a car accident that almost uh, took her life. There was a period of time when uh, our oldest daughter, Abigail, uh, needed treatment. She was a year and a half, and she needed treatment at Scottish Rite Children's Hospital. And so we actually moved from California and moved back to Dallas for her to be treated and lived with my parents. Can you imagine? And during that time, we worked, and we had the treatment for Abigail. I was pregnant with Andrew. It was a crazy time. And, uh, and some very terrible uh, sin was uncovered in the family at that time. And the Lord called Dan and I. We, it, it fell in our laps. And no one else in the family knew about it. And after prayer... And a very huge lordship decision, we, uh, we brought it out into the light. That's what we felt like God was calling us to do. As a result of that, the chains that had bound my mother for all those years fell off. As a result of that, my father said he never wanted to see or talk to us again. And we didn't see him for four years. But we never gave up loving him. And after four years, we experienced a miracle of reconciliation in that relationship. My mom's life was forever changed. I held my mom in my arms uh, as she passed away in 2002. Um, those years, we served and we loved and we walked on this journey with my parents. My father, after, um, after my mother's death, um, and this is something I just want to share, but we may be late for dinner. Is that okay? And I wasn't going to share this, but... Um, in the last few days, I've just felt like that maybe there's someone here that needs to, to hear this. But after my mother passed away, um, my father went into terrible despair and hopelessness. Um, out, out of all the trials and all the years, and God was so faithful to my dad, uh, he just would not give his heart to Jesus Christ. Um, and so almost immediately after my mother died, there was a woman who had worked for my dad uh, for about 20 years. Um, and she uh, had never married. And she just began to kind of show up. 
She had a long history with my family. I had known her since I was a little girl, and I literally, she was about 20 years old when she came to work for my dad, and so I was, I don't know how old I was, but I was little, and, but I was terrified of her. There was just such an an edge of, of bitterness and sarcasm about her that I never understood. I never knew how to handle. And all, all the years I worked for my dad, she worked for him. She was in our lives. She was in and out of our home. Um, I was always afraid of this woman. Her name was Jeanette. Well, as soon as my mom died, she had been out of our life for about 10 years, out of their lives for about 10 years um, because she had done some horrible things to my mom. She showed up and she just kept pursuing and pursuing my dad. And so suddenly I am faced with this person from the past who has always been terrifying to me and she is pursuing a relationship with my dad. And they got married. But you know, before they got married, I realized, and this was a huge lordship decision in my life, I could either hate her. I mean, I literally, I hated her. She had betrayed my mother. She had been horrible. I knew what she had done. So how could I love this person? But God, I, I, God made the choice very clear. I either had to forgive and love her and embrace her or lose my dad. And I had worked all my life for this relationship with my dad. And so I got down on my knees and I began to pray, God, this is going to take a miracle. There is no way I will ever forgive this woman on my own. And, you know, it took a long time. It took months. It took, um, I don't know, the tears that it took to sort out my feelings through the scriptures, trusting God with what was happening as their relationship developed. And then one day they just went down to the justice of the peace and got married. My dad called my brother and said, call your sister and tell her. My brother's like, are you crazy? You call your daughter. Um, But you know what? I had to, that was one of the biggest decisions of forgiveness that I have ever had to make. It's one of the hardest decisions. I had to say, Lord, make me willing to be willing, to be willing, to be willing. Is there anything in your life where you are like a hundred willings back? But that first step, Lord, make me willing to be changed. Boy, what a miracle that God did in my heart to embrace her and to love her. They were married for seven years before my dad passed away. I want to tell you that there was an incredible spiritual battle that raged around my dad. And I knew that all my life. God put me in that family to be a light in this, in this family, even as dim as I was at some times. 
that lordship decision of forgiveness was one of the greatest testimonies to my children of seeing forgiveness in action. That I could, I, there's nothing greater I could have ever given my children to see the transformation. Because they were old enough to understand that something, especially Abigail, was very wrong. Jeanette never changed. Jeanette always terrified me. If you did something that crossed her, and this is, so I'm a grown woman in my dad's home. If you did something to cross her, she would get in your face and she would scream at you. Sorry, I'm not going to do it to you. (laughs) I'm not going to do it to anybody. She would just get in my face and scream at me to shut up. That's this woman. But when my dad was dying, he got sick in November and he passed away in, in February. Jeanette was there with him. And an incredible spiritual battle raged the whole time. And I went home as often as I could. In those last few months, I went home every other week. And he was in the hospital so much of the time, and I would just stay in the hospital with him and uh, just sleep on the bed or a cot or whatever it was. Um, The agony was so huge. I watched as they drained two giant bottles of liquid out of his lungs. I mean, it was just an incredible journey. And every time I went home, I prayed, God, I have shared with my dad. I have wept over my dad. I have prayed for my dad for 30 some odd years. I have no clue what to say, what's left to say. So I'm going to ask your Holy Spirit to just show me in the moment I'm not going to make a plan or have a strategy, right, as we sometimes do. But in the moment, you show me. And every single time, God would open up just that window of conversation that would touch on some part of the gospel. Well, of course, Jeanette was there with him most of the time. Near the end, I was there with him in intensive care one night when we thought that he would pass away that night. And I'm sitting by his bed, and Jeanette is back, kind of behind this screen in intensive care. And my dad looks at me, and he says, I had a dream. And so I'm right there beside him. I go, Dad, what did you dream? What did you see? He said, it was all... It was all red. And I heard Jeanette shriek with laughter and call out from behind the screen, was there a little red man with a pitchfork? And I sat there with my dad, and he talked about his dream, and I talked about heaven. And I told him one more time the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't die that night. He lived another uh, month or two. But in those last visits that I had with him, when God would open up that opportunity to talk about faith, I think on that very, maybe that last visit, My dad um, got really scared. 
And he said, where's Jeanette? Where's Jeanette? He wanted to end the conversation about God and about Jesus Christ. Well, I knew what Jeanette had been saying to my dad because she had said it to me. She had been telling him he did not need a savior. That his good works outweighed his bad works. And that when he got to heaven, that he would be fine because he had been a good person. And I know that's what she had told him because she told me that in the car. She said, your dad doesn't need anything. Well, my dad passed away. I do not know. I do not know where he is. But I do know this, that God is good. I do know that my dad's salvation never rested on me, never depended on me, and it never depended on Jeanette, and it was never thwarted. It could not be... It could not be stolen by Jeanette, no matter what she had said. God is good. God was faithful. And only God knows. Well, he died in February. And we had lots of interaction with Jeanette because of the estate, settling the estate. And I um, was on the phone It was Christmas. It was around Christmas, and I called Jeanette. And uh, no one was home. It was just me. And I asked her how she was doing. And uh, she started to cry. She always cried. And um, I said, Jeanette, have you been to church? Because we had talked about going to church. And she said, I have gone to church, but I can't go to church because I just sob and sob. I can't stop. And she said to me, Patricia, I told your dad that he did not need a savior. And she just wept. you know what I said to her? I said, Jeanette, my dad's salvation was never in your hands. His salvation was never in my hands. God was perfectly faithful to my dad, and he loved my dad to the end. And God has forgiven you, and God has forgiven me, And that is good news, isn't it? So I'm sharing this story with you. Why? Because we're supposed to be at dinner. (laughs) Because Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Right here, right now, today. What tomorrow holds, you don't know and I don't know. But he is perfectly faithful every step of the way. I started with some pretty hard verses, didn't I? Some verses that we don't quite understand. And I don't know how they're going to work out in your life. 
And I didn't know how they were going to work out in my life. I didn't know the wounds and the pain and the separation. I didn't know I would be disinherited three times. Yeah, I get the, the record. I didn't know the journey of forgiveness and how painful it was going to be. But I know, I want to tell you, that no matter how you described your home, God has placed you there. God is perfectly faithful there. You are on a journey that is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. It's full of beauty. It's full of glory. God has got amazing things for you. There will be amazing decisions of faith and lordship and grace in your life in the years to come. And God will prepare you for every single one. And when, when he tells you to go home, you will go home. And when he tells you to leave, you will leave. And when he tells you to have courage to say this or do this, you will have the courage you need at that moment. And God will bless you and God will guide you. And when you lean in on him with all of your human personality, in absolute trust that he has the power, that he has the wisdom, and he has the love to take care of you. He will do incredible things in you, through you, and in the lives of your family. He is writing their faith story. And he is the Lord of your life. And he can be perfectly trusted. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I just thank you for how much you love every single person in this room. And oh, how we all wish right now that a little blueprint for life would fall out of heaven. To just show us, you know, what to do and where to go and all the steps to take. And we know that isn't going to happen. But we know that through your word, we are going to find you. And through our decisions to follow you and the power of your Holy Spirit. And that you are going to walk right beside us on this journey. Through whatever valleys, through whatever wilderness, to climb whatever bare height that you call us to climb. And we are going to love the people you've put in our lives. And we are going to serve them. And we are going to give ourselves to them. And we are going to forgive them, whatever the cost. However many willings it takes, whatever the tears. And Lord Jesus, you're going to walk beside us every step of the way. In perfect love and perfect faithfulness. And you are going to do incredible things. So we thank you. And for today, well, maybe we'll just go back to the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Maybe that's all I need today. And just trust you with my past, with my present, and with my future. Because it all belongs to you. It's all in your hands. No better place for it to be. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the good news. And we love you. Amen.
Okay, everybody. Run to dinner. Okay. Slip in. Inconspicuously, 